What's up, guys? After a week off, we had a bye week. Um, you would call it cake week, not cupcake week. We we took a Good little memory. bye week. Um, yeah, man. We recorded the pod for like three years together. So, um, but yeah, so I, we had to go through a lot of cake weeks. I will say that. Um, we're back for another episode of Cast Interference. I'm Chris Marler. Of course, I'm joined by Conor O'Gara. Um, first and foremost, what what holidays have I missed? I don't think you have missed uh, Arbor Day. You did miss uh, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think we have uh, what's what's coming up. Easter is coming up. Ooh, it's my mom's um, Super Bowl. She is fired up. As she should be, you know, yeah. like you get a packed house. It's kind of like you're, 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 it's like the one game a year. If you're like a, if you're like a smaller power five school and then you host like the top three school in the country, mm-hmm. it's not like you sell out every single game. Not to say that your mom doesn't have sellout attendance at church. Oh, she doesn't know something. Okay. So perfect example then it's like, Hey, right. once, once, you know, Easter comes along, then, you know, you got a packed house. The atmosphere is just electric. You know, the sermon's got to be on point. <laughs> when she comes out of the tunnel and goes down that aisle and takes a stage oh. on Easter. Um, no, you know what it reminds me of is the, the episode of The Office where they're trying to they have the surplus and they're trying to figure out if they want to do like, like if they want to get like the new chair, if they want to get like a printer or whatever it is. And then everyone's being nice to Michael. That's basically how my mom feels on Easter. As, <laughs> as, for those of you who don't know, my mom's a pastor. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we're, we're coming into, we're recording this on a Thursday and as of now, there's still one SEC basketball team left in the tournament. Not a great weekend uh, last weekend. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I like just want to talk a little bit about SEC basketball and, and how – was it a facade this year of, of being tough? Because I honestly thought that the floor had been raised. and It, it just – it wasn't like the ceiling necessarily had gone super high for everyone, but I feel like the floor definitely was raised a lot, with like especially with these new hires. Don't use NCAA tournament results to look back on five months worth of data and come to conclusions yeah. based on that. Just, just don't. Fair it's, enough. It's dumb. Like it, people do it so much. We do it in bowl season. With bowl season, it's a little bit different because it's a one yeah. game sample size. There are a lot of different things that go into it. But NCAA tournament is really, really hard. And the SEC had really a hard. bad. It's a bad NCAA tournament. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to look at it. Like I, I, I have like a, a a bunch of numbers that I'm break, breaking down to figure out if it is the SEC's most disappointing NCAA Ooh. tournament ever. Which there's a real case to be made because it's not like the SEC has never had, um, a, you know, a, a tournament in which it didn't have a team in the Elite Eight. That's right. happened, like you know, that that's happened a decent amount every year. Yeah. I mean, so like there were, in terms of just the elite eight, like the SEC getting left out of the field entirely. I went back and I looked up all of these numbers. So I have these like literally just sitting in front of me right now, uh, 12 times in which the SEC was left out of the elite eight. If that includes Arkansas, by the way, if that includes Arkansas. So we're going back to 1985. That is when the field was expanded from 53 teams to 64. So I figure, Mm -hmm. like, if you're dealing with 53, it's a little bit different in terms of you know the the breakdowns, all that. That's like a a third of the of the overall tournaments. If it's it's 12, I mean, that's that's still that's still pretty high. And then there were 14 instances in which there were one or zero teams in the Sweet 16, including 2022, of course. Two instances in which the SEC was left out of the Sweet 16 entirely, 1989, 2009. Mm -hmm. But like those two years, it wasn't disappointing the same sort of way because in 89, they what the SEC went 0 and 5. 
first round really? of the tournament, like real bad. But nobody was seated better than a six seed. So it's like, well, right. how disappointing was it? And then in 09, nobody was seated better than an eight seed. So it's like, well, you know, that's different than having five teams lose to double digit seats opening weekend. You know, and like dude, that- it's also like we're, you look at the YouTube channel, like we have multiple videos on here talking about like from from, you know, two months ago of can the SEC get two number one seeds? Like, like, you know, there was, there were some people trying to make the case that all, I think, you know, all four number two seeds could have been SEC teams. Pa- Patrick Young, uh, bless his heart, new guy on SEC network. He's um, yoked. Yeah, he is yoked. He, he also said that if the SEC would get three final four teams, um, which did not pan out very well. <laughs> just, I mean, like, Sometimes I say stuff and I question it, but that was, that was next level. I think that like, for me, it was, you're right about the fact that it's very hard to win in March, right? Like it, like there's a reason why even coach K is maybe the greatest college basketball coach of all time has what five total. And he's been coaching at Duke for since like 1892. Mm-hmm. That's correct. All that's yeah, correct. <laughs> so um, I don't like the LSU thing might've been kind of expected because Will Wade was fired before the game I'm not going to get into the Bama thing. It was just, I mean, it was maddening to watch all season. And as soon as that white kid started hitting all those threes, I was like, oh my God, his name is Cormac. We got beat by a kid named Cormac. Happens to the best of us. No, it doesn't happen to anybody. Cormac is the name of like a genie that you would see in like that little thing, like the booth thing in big. I'm pretty sure that was the same name. So okay, yeah, not great. Um, what was your main takeaway from, from the weekend? Do you think Arkansas has any chance against Gonzaga? By the time people are listening to this, so that game will be over. Yeah. I, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that that game will be over. Um, the, the three disappointing teams. Arkansas is not disappointing. Not disappointing. No. Made it to the Sweet 16. Second four year. Seed. Yeah, second consecutive year in which you're also the last SEC team standing, which mm-hmm. that matters. That program cares about that. They'll recruit with that. Yep. It's Tennessee, it's Auburn, and then, of course, it's Kentucky. Though, when we talk about disappointment, you can kind of say what you want about like the LSU and the Bama thing. Mm-hmm. Expectations were relatively low. You could say that L- expectations were still relatively low for Auburn, but you're still a two seed. You're still a two seed. A lot of your they were test- low to their fan base. No, they weren't. And a right. lot of people, if you kind of follow this, were saying, well, you know, there's this is just who they are. It's their DNA, their guard play. They, yeah, they're kind of all over the place, but Bruce Pearl lets them play with freedom and they're going to figure right. it out. And it's like, well, you look back on it, and what was the stat? I brought up that stat before about how they had one win against an NCAA tournament. Their last win against the NCAA tournament team was the Bama win on like February 1st. And then in yeah. that stretch, Jacksonville State is the lone NCAA tournament team that they beat in that That's entire stretch of time. And it's like, look, I, I had Auburn losing in the second round, so my disappointment level isn't the same. I had them losing to USC, but right. like you yeah, see the way bracket. they played up. My bracket is like, it's okay. It's okay. It's it could be worse. I mean, I had Kentucky in the national championship. And if I'm doing yeah, that too. pick, if I'm doing that pick over again, I'm probably still picking Kentucky to go to the final four. Kentucky didn't lose to an NCAA tournament team all year until St. Right. Peter's. St. Peter's didn't even beat a single power <laughs> conference team. Like people act like that we was... should see these things coming, and we just you just sometimes can't. That's March. Yeah. Like I think I know Jack Mack from, from Barcel and you know, another podcast, he, he, he went in on the St. Peter's thing. Cause I, I did those matchup breakdowns and I, I said very adamantly, this, this was the most boring school I've ever researched in my entire life. There, there was nothing about that school that was interesting at all. And then they get this like prepubescent kid. I forgot his name with the mustache. I just, my God. Um, I mean, so good for them. Cause it's, it's a great story, obviously. 
but yeah, I think the disappointment level, like, like the, it wasn't just the fact that they lost. I mean, Auburn got beat by like what, 18? Like a drum. I mean, yeah. bad, bad. Like to the point where you, you never really, in my opinion, like I never really felt in that game, like they were close. I mean, Walker Kessler foul trouble early on hurts them. First five but, minutes. I mean, that 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 was something that that probably didn't get talked about enough. I know we mm-hmm. spent a lot of time talking about his shoulder and whether or not he was fully healthy, but you kind of look at the way that it played out in the last month or so. And when he would get into foul trouble, it's just like kind of a different team. And Jabari, yeah. they were really denying entry passes into Jabari. He had just a, a bad night. And at times they've been able to overcome bad nights from Jabari. You go back to the Mizzou game where they're able mm-hmm. to kind of work through it, but against a team like Miami, who I'm blown away that they're double-digit seed. Like, they do not look the part. They basically have gone all, like, Duke mode for Mm -hmm. the first two games of the NCAA tournament where, like, they had that win at Duke. And then other than that, it was like, yeah, they killed UNC. But they really didn't have anything other than that that was really impressive. And then they get to the tournament, and they look like a world beater. They don't look like double-digit seed at all. And Auburn just ran into a team that was significantly better than them. Yeah, I wish that I would have um, consulted with you about it not being close because I was just hammering Auburn in the live bets. Because also, I like caught fire this weekend. I could not miss. I could not miss until I tweeted, I can't miss. And then the next bet was the Auburn thing, and it was really bad. Um, I know. No, so the the Arkansas thing, the the game in general, like we don't need to get into it, obviously, because like this will be over by the time people listen to this. But the nine and a half point underdog, is very surprising to me and it feels like i'm gonna hammer that but that also makes me question if vegas a thousand percent knows something i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna punt on on all arkansas discussion just because i don't want to get cold ticked i know that by the time people are listening to this this will already be out so i will all punt on that but like the tennessee thing is is shows you how frustrating march can be yeah how that is just like a byproduct of you have to show up. Momentum can mm-hmm. only get you so far. It did not matter that Tennessee was one of the two or three hottest teams in the country. The fact that Joe Lenardi was sitting there on selection Sunday telling you that they only deserve the three seed. And then after Tennessee loses, he tweets out that he's not going to get into it. But oh, by the way, he's smiling. What a loser, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, Tennessee was in a position where it absolutely should have gotten a two seed. And losing in the NCAA tournament didn't change that. What losing in the NCAA tournament showed us was yeah, this was a team that had been able to work through some of those offensive mm-hmm. issues, the offensive droughts that they had dealt with in the first part of the season, and even in the second part of the season, where like they didn't score more than 72 points in a game in the SEC right. tournament, and they dominated. Michigan showed up. Michigan played really well down the stretch. They ran them off the three-point line, and Michigan was a team that was well-deserving to be able to go on a preseason top six team. Yeah, and like, like that's it, Tennessee's, that's their downfall right there. And like the fact that that's what I didn't understand from like the the people that were like blowing up this Tennessee, like upset, right? Michigan went to the final four last year and I understand a different team. Okay. So, and then on top of that, you know, like you're talking about a, like a very, very talented program who's like year in and year out. And and then you get Jawan Howard back. I mean, they beat Ohio state in a huge comeback they had like at the end of the regular season. I just an eleven seed for Michigan seemed kind of odd. Um, no, it was it was fair. It was it was perfectly legit yeah. because they didn't. They, the last time they had won consecutive games was February tenth. I mean, they were the most like hot and cold, frustrating right. team to watch. And like I, I thought, there was a real case that they they should be very firmly on the bubble coming into the tournament. I even I didn't like, think they should get in. But yeah, like let's do the A and M breakdown against Michigan and compare that side to side resume because like Michigan did not have a lot of quality wins in the regular season. Their mm-hmm. best win of the year was easily that Tennessee game. 
Yeah. Well, and the other thing is too, is like, I mainly mean from a standpoint of like, you know, in football, it's, it's like you, the helmet, right? Like you don't want to go play. Like, I just feel like looking at that 11 seed, if, like seeing Michigan on the Jersey, I don't think it's what like factored into, you know, they got into like the minds of all the Tennessee players or that, you know, they were like rent free because they had to play Michigan, but it's like, yeah, you'd rather play St. Peter's. You'd rather see St. Peter's across the, the Jersey than Michigan. If, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get to the next round, um, you brought up Tennessee and, and we're going to transition out of, uh, out of some basketball stuff. Talk a little bit about the fact that they just signed a, or they haven't signed him yet, but they got a quarterback out of California, which a lot of people were surprised about that, but Tennessee had a lot of inroads recruiting wise in California for, for several years, especially in the Fulmer days. Um, I, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but a five-star quarterback. Nico. Who, Nico. Love it. Um, I, like, I think this is huge for a number of reasons. Obviously, a five-star quarterback is very important, and and I get all that. But the fact that this kid, I don't believe it's just the NIL stuff. Obviously, it could be, and and money is always going to influence stuff. We've seen Lane Kiffin talk about it. But believing in Hypel after one year and and what he was able to do, like I I feel like this is such a should be like a confidence boost for everyone that may have had some doubts about Josh Hypel even after season one. Josh Heupel has had four consecutive seasons with top 10 offenses. That's he is, I mean, he is by any metric, one of the best offensive minds in the sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just is. And so he doesn't necessarily have this slew of NFL guys who he can point mm-hmm. to and brag about where like Dan Mullen still has that in a way that Heupel, Heupel doesn't. I mean, Heupel's like Drew Locke. Um, all right. <laughs> you know, other than that, it, it's, it's pretty limited. And that's right. the thing that could take this over the top. So now, you know, you return one of the, probably one of the five to 10 best quarterbacks in all college football and Hendon Hooker. And mm-hmm. you're going to get an entire off season where Hendon Hooker is the guy, people that are kind of looking back on what he did this past year, who, and this is something that we've talked about are now probably a little bit more impressed and realizing, wow, like he, he actually, like he ran really well too. And the turnovers were, mm-hmm. were so minimal. He's got to improve on taking those sacks, but you look at those factors and you say, Josh Heupel in 14 months has done so much to rebuild the identity of Tennessee's offense, which was non-existent before he got there. And Total the biggest goal. Yeah. I mean, like your entire goal should have been have a fun offense, man. Just exactly. like have a fun offense year one, do the old miss thing, have an offense that kids want to come play, come play mm-hmm. and be a part of whether that's the transfer portal, whether that's recruiting, you did that in year one. And now we're seeing kind of that, that pay dividends. And even right. you know, with hooker staying now with Nico committing, don't think it necessarily means that Arch Manning is going to Tennessee, but no. it does at least show you that he is recruiting to his style and his style is working. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the other thing is too, like the fact that, that like that hire, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Cause like, you know, we've, we've talked to people at the zoo, like they were very frustrated with how fast the, uh, the offense would go. And, and like the defense would just be worn out every single game. It seemed like that was like the knock on him. And which is, I feel like, I mean, you still take it because you're putting up, you know, ridiculous numbers on offense, just trying to make a stop. That being said, the fact that, that this guy, the, the higher they made, I said it when it happened. It was so important. Like, even if it doesn't pan out, even if they go seven and five every year to go from what they were, what they had on offense, especially just with that offense and Jared Garantano and all the pick sixes, the, like not just like the, the players, like the, the fans deserve some fun as well, because they, I mean, think about how many years in a row it's just a miserable, miserable offense. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, it, the, some of the numbers post Fulmer, especially, 
mm-hmm. are just dreadful. I mean, dreadful. Yeah. Like I, I can't remember. It was Bill Martin who threw out that tweet about their explosive plays by year. And it was like, oh my God, these fans don't or, even know what it's like to, <laughs> to see a play, a guy run for more than like 50 yards, you yeah. know, a passing play or something like that. So like, there are just a lot of things that would say vibes are good. You should mm-hmm. feel confident about this offense moving forward. I was, I was dead wrong about their defense in year one. I thought Tim yeah. Banks was going to have the worst defense in the SEC. We had all the stats about not playing mm-hmm. complimentary football. That was such a big point of emphasis, not only at um, Mizzou, but also at UCF and the way that mm-hmm. that fallout kind of uh, played out. But I think moving forward, yeah, the foundation's really good. Now yeah. you got to be able to recruit. It's still going to be dependent on the decisions that you make moving forward. You're still going to have to be able to elevate your floor defensively if you're going mm-hmm. to take that next step, if you're going to beat a Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, which, of course, like you're only as good as those games if That's you're crazy, at Tennessee. Yeah, yeah and it, that kind of sucks, but it does go along with the territory. And then, you know, a decade and a half ago, that they were at the top of that totem pole as well. So, you know, it could definitely change. I don't think Georgia and Bama are going to beat them forever. Uh, but I will tell you this last thing about Tennessee. Heupel definitely doesn't have to deal with 34 players in the transfer portal this year, which is it's yeah. even more astounding the success he had in year one. Um, all right, going into uh, a little bit more football stuff, not just spring practice, but I, I was talking to you about this off air and some of like the rumblings now that spring practice has started across the SEC of these players that you know might be breakout stars, like all these players at the transfer portal that are now at new new spots. There's one guy for Bama in particular that. I love this kid when he was at the, his last school and I was, as soon as they, he made that announcement, I was like, Oh, that's good. That's real. Because I don't care what the depth chart is on any of that stuff. That kid could be a star if he's put in the right position. I'll get to that in a little while. What, what are the things that you are most excited about or people uh, that have transferred in or, or, you know, whatnot, like they could be the most explosive or, or basically this year's Wandell Robinson, right? You were spot on with that, that take last year. Thank you. I did not think Jameson Williams would be as good as he was. So I'll take an L <laughs> on that. Um, I, I think the new trend that we're going to see in, in the SEC power five running back transfers who are mm-hmm. really good this year. And to understand kind of why that dynamic exists in this way, you have to understand obviously the new rules of the transfer portal. Undergraduates can play right away with the one time mm-hmm. exemption. They don't have to sit a year. And you think about what that means for the running back position in general, the shelf life. Why would you want to sit a year of your athletic prime? Right. If you can't make it as a running back. Why would you then, you know, try and like transfer somewhere else um, as an undergrad? It's just a little bit more difficult. So I wanted to figure this out. This is going to sound really specific, but but hang with okay. me on this stat. During the playoff era, here is the list of running backs who finished in the top ten in the SEC in rushing after transferring from a Power Five school. Right? Pretty simple. Yeah. I'll say it again. I'll, no, during I the playoff era, I've got, okay. I've got to figure out. Like I'm just trying to, you know, rack my brain and see who it is. Just top 10 in rushing. Do you have any any guesses? Because there's there's two. There's only two who have been able to do there's that. There's only two? Two. Oh, explain it again to the audience. And let me do some thinking. I'll buy myself okay. 30 seconds. During the playoff era, the list of running backs who finished in the top 10 in the SEC in rushing after transferring from a power five school. I don't I'm drawing a blank on everything here. There's so, one you'll kick yourself for, and then there's one that you'll be like, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. Sure. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead and tell me. I, I, I'm like, wait, did Auburn have anybody? Go ahead and tell me. Keyshawn Vaughn. Ah, oh, I love Keyshawn Vaughn. Going from Illinois to Vandy. And then mm-hmm. Trey Carson going from Oregon to, to Texas A&M. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Very specific, right? Right. Like, 
and you, if you think about it, you would say, well, why, why would you like, why are there so few of those? But think mm-hmm. about like who would be transferring to the SEC to play more and not just go to the NFL. Right. right. It's like who would all of a sudden take that next step once they join the SEC? It's mm-hmm. very, it's a very specific group. So like this year though, that's totally out the window. Like I'll be surprised if there are not multiple power five transfers who are among the top 10 rushers in the SEC, a guy mm-hmm. that I know you're going to get to in a minute. So I'll save him for you. But Nathaniel Pete at Mizzou, which Mizzou running backs and Eli Drinkwitz. Every era, year, like, man. That's that's what they do. That's just yeah. kind of par for the course. Noah Kane, who's a guy I've been really high on for a mm-hmm. long time, of course, transferring from Penn State, some offensive line issues, some health issues, just kind of scheme didn't really work out with him. Interested to see if that's better with Brian Kelly, with the way that mm-hmm. they're hopefully going to be able to pass the ball with all those stud receivers. So I think that should benefit him. And then Zach Evans is the, is the obvious yeah. one, right? Coming from T, from TCU, going to Ole Miss. He had the, the toe issue last year that sidelined him after he was pretty much a revelation in the first half of the year. Wild recruitment. I make the joke all the Wild time. Wild recruitment, dude. <laughs> if you Google Zach Evans with any Power 5 school, you will get oh, yeah. a result. You will absolutely <laughs> get a result. It has gone that all over the place. And now he's at Ole Miss. He gets to team up with uh, also another another transfer, uh, SMU transfer, Ulysses Bentley, the fourth yeah. all-time Good name. Unbelievable yeah. name. So they get to take over in that backfield, which, of course, is three dudes to replace. So, like, all those guys would not surprise me at all if they are top ten in the SEC in rushing this year after transferring from Power 5 schools. And then there's the one who is the most likely in the clubhouse to do that, Jameer Gibbs. Okay, so this is this is something I was thinking about the other day, and I was talking to Feinbaum about this. And sick rag, sick rag. But like everyone keeps talking about, like, if, like if you're going to talk about Bama's offense going into next year, like I don't think there's a ton of concern at this point. Most people just kind of assume it's going to be status quo and whatever, and they do return Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. He, of course, got like the blame for a lot of stuff from fans. I I thought he did a great job. Um, it in year one, especially with, with Bryce, but um, Bryce Young comes back his freshman year. He has 4,800 yards, 50 total touchdowns. Like when's the Heisman, right? Everyone is focused on, on the receivers that left Jamison Williams, John Mechie. I know Georgia fans will want to hear this. Those two accounted for 56% of his completion or of his yards and 48% of his completions on the year. What about um, Slade? <laughs> I'm not going to get started on Slade. He's going to NFL draft or NFL combine. And there was another white receiver who was actually an athlete and he just embarrassed him the whole time. I felt really bad for him. Um, it was, he was like bottom three or bottom five in every single thing he did overrated. He's gritty. He, he's not oh, anyway, but no, so like, like you lose five of your top six pass catchers. You, you bring back Cameron Latou and, and the two things that I'm most interested to see is, the offensive line is a huge question. I'm very surprised people aren't talking about more. They Bama gave up 42 sacks last year, which was 12th in the SEC, 106 in, in FBS, 106 in FBS. And you think about like you had two five stars that were number one and number two tackles in the country. They were freshmen, but they're just sitting on the bench. How does that develop this, this upcoming year? Because that was awful to watch a lot of times last year. The, the six yards rushing against LSU, the seven sacks against Auburn. But the, the number that keeps jumping out to me is this. And I talked to you about this before the 2020 season. How would, how would Bama use Najee Harris in the passing game? And he ends up having, I think, 35, um, 35 receptions on the year, which was uh, he was top five on the team. Brian Robinson, who is by all means not a Najee Harris, he's not a guy that you – like that guy is a between-the-tackles runner, right? Gets stronger as the game goes on. He is not somebody that's going to like go get out in space and run you know, a bunch of screen passes. North he South had 43 guy, yeah. receptions this year. 
Um, which part of that's because, you know, Bama had a lot of injuries in, in, in the running back room and also late in the season, what you had at, at the receiver position. But Jameer Gibbs coming in, it, that kid was a stud on a terrible team. I mean, like a terrible team. And you start looking at the numbers, you're, you're talking about a kid that, that he, I think he had 1,680 total yards, and that includes like return yards. He was able to score a touchdown in all phases of the game, but he, he averaged in his past two seasons 30 receptions a year, about 350 yards. But the explosive plays of this kid, like you want to talk about a guy that's electric in space, he had six straight games last year where he had at least one play over 50-plus yards in the game. I, I think that kid is going to be a stud in this, in this offense. And you have a lot of talent coming back. I think that kid's the top, top of the pecking order. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to figure out among that group, like which one will lead the SEC in rushing, it's, mm -hmm. it's Gibbs or it's Evans, just among the, mm -hmm. the, the Power 5 transfers. But, um, yeah, you brought up the, the pass catching. PFF's highest graded um, receiving grade. He had the highest receiving grade of any uh, FBS running back last year, which right. is pretty darn good. And He's um, going real to be quick, he did that on a team that averaged less than 200 yards passing a game in Georgia Tech, yeah. which is an awful offense. And and think about like the the game, the just the general game flow. Jeff Collins' mm -hmm. team, like they were getting their butt kicked a lot. Like you, you watch the highlights of him, and they're like, oh yeah, they're not they're not a touchdown in Northern Illinois. They can't just run him like four or five times in a row right now. They got to like right. throw and try and find ways to get him in space. Oof. They should be able to use him a lot. If he yeah. doesn't end up with 250 touches from scrimmage this year, I will be surprised. And that's not a knock on Trey Sanders. It's not a knock on Roy Dell Williams. It's not a knock on Jason McClellan. I think they're going to get him involved so much because this is pretty rare to have like this little experience returning from the Alabama backfield and using that experience as like transfer experience, you know, use like we have grown very accustomed to seeing there's at least one guy who's had, you know, like a hundred, a hundred carries the previous season who's coming back. That's just always the case. Right. And it's different this year in that regard. And so now, Gibbs should be in line for just a huge workload, in my opinion. I don't think they want to really rely on Trey Sanders in the same sort of way. He's been rumored to go to the transfer portal for a long time, which is like really? a TBD on that. Yeah, there have been rumors on that back and forth. It's, it seems like he tweets every like every six months, like, hey, I'm not entering the portal. It's like, yeah, I get it. But if there's smoke, usually there's some sort yeah. of fire. I, again, like, I, whatever. We'll, I hope the kid stays healthy, but yeah, Gibbs is going to get a ton of work. I think that, like, also, I mean, those numbers can be a little bit skewed just because of the fact, like, once you got to November, all the three backups behind Brian Robinson, there were three backup running backs that were all out for the season, season ending injuries, just like one by one, they went down. Um, but what's interesting to me is you brought up the fact that 250 touches, because in the past, that doesn't seem like a lot for Alabama. We, we looked at what Derrick Henry did about six years ago, but with Bryce Young at quarterback, there were several games last year and not just close games, but several games where he put up 40, 50 plus passes. I, I thought the Georgia game, he was going to put up 60 going into that game for Bama to have a chance. I, like, I wonder what this looks like in the offense. Like if, if, if it's something like a magic number, like we used to see with Kadarius Tony, right? Like in Florida where it's like, you got to get him at least seven to eight touches a game. You, you have to, like, if you have to force it to him, that's fine. But like, I wonder what the number will be for this kid, because I don't think they'll just use it between the tackles, but you also like, they're going to, they're going to throw the ball again, probably 38, 40 times a game. Yeah. He's best between the tackles too. Like mm -hmm. that's the interesting thing. Like, you wouldn't necessarily assume that because he's versatile and because he actually does stuff in the passing game and he's right. made that a big part of his game, but he is best when he's working between the tackles and he's not just like a shifty guy. 
he gets north south in a hurry. He runs through contact. Like you watch the highlights of this kid, and you're like, oh, we would have been talking about him way more if he was on a team that actually had a pulse last year and at a place like Alabama. Even if he just replicates what he did last year, and if he doesn't improve in his pre-draft season, which like one would think probably get improved in his pre-draft yep. season. Um, <laughs> all so. those resources, all those surroundings and everything. Um, as long as he is healthy, he is in uh, in good shape. Definitely an all SEC candidate. Yeah, I agree. So I'm just happy it's back. Um, it's good to start talking about football again and just stop pretending like I know anything about basketball. It's just all over my head. So um, until next week, I don't know what holidays this week. I'm, it was National Puppy Day the other day, which I, now that I say it, we're not going to get into. That's the end of the show. <laughs> See you next time, guys. Happy Arbor Day.